Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. Of course, the most I think most everybody here this evening was here with us this morning as we began to look at some of these thoughts here that God has given us. And I want to just briefly mention again about 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 9. This passage we find is in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 as Paul is trying to encourage the church at Corinth that they need to be giving in in a monetary offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And as he's encouraging them to do that, they, he's already mentioned it to them a year prior. They began to give. They were excited about giving. They had begun to collect the offering that was necessary. Uh, but then they, for some reason, stopped giving. It could be because of persecution in their area. It could be for a myriad of different things. This church at Corinth dealt with many things in their midst and in their church. They had false doctrine coming in the church. They had church issues. There was sin in their church that had to be dealt with and just so many things that was going on uh, that would have taken their time and their focus away uh, from being charitable to those uh, poor saints in Jerusalem and the church there. But in the midst of Paul trying to urge this church and encourage this church to give in a monetary offering, he reminds them, number one, of the example of the church churches of Macedonia who had gotten what the Bible says is the grace of giving. They understood the necessity of giving and God had put it in their heart to even give out of their poverty. The Bible says it was deep poverty in chapter number 8 and verse number 2 uh, that they were in deep poverty but verse 3 said that they gave to their power and even beyond their power because they were willing and of, the, of themselves to be givers and to give cheerfully. And I'm not here, as I said this morning, to preach on giving, although that'd be a great passage to preach on giving. Amen. To give of your power. You give what you can. And sometimes God may just want us and put it in our heart to give more than we can afford uh, to the work of God, knowing that if you are willing to give, God will give back to you, and he'll make sure that you have all sufficiency uh, to live your life that he would have for you to live. That is a summary of chapter number 8 and chapter number 9. But however, as he gives the example of the Macedonians to encourage them in their giving, he also gives the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the Macedonians gave by grace, the Bible said that Jesus uh, that Jesus enacted uh, his life, his condescension from heaven to earth, his incarnation from, uh, from uh, heaven to an earth body, Luke chapter number 2, Matthew chapter number 1 in Bethlehem's manger, uh, that he did all of that by the grace of God. We know the Bible said that Jesus came into the world, uh, that uh, he would give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came into the world by the grace of God that he could save sinners, amen, to literally give his life. The Macedonians were willing to give of their finances. Jesus was willing 
willing to give his life for all of lost humanity. And if the, the Macedonians and their physical giving was not enough to stir this Corinthian church to give, then the, the example of the giving of the life of the Lord Jesus should be all that is necessary to stir up the heart of a truly born-again child of God to give of themselves to be a blessing to others. Amen. And so in the midst of this great chapter uh, about giving and the need of that church in Jerusalem and encouraging that in this congregation we find the words of verse number 9 where the Bible says again, he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. By the way, this Corinthian church was a wealthy church. Comparatively speaking, they had much more than many of the other churches existing in this day. So they had some wealth, and this verse, Paul is reminding them of the wealth that Jesus had uh, before he came to this world uh, some 2,000 years ago. The Bible said that he was rich, and we know that he was. He was God there in creation, the second part of the Trinity, amen, the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was Jesus that was there when God the Father said, let us make man in our image. Amen. He had all of the world at his disposal because he was the creator of it all. He was the proprietor of it all. There was nothing that did not belong to him. All of the world's gold and silver and precious stones belonged to him because he created it all. He was rich. Yet for your sakes, and I'm telling you, I'd love to preach this verse just the way that it's written, amen. But for your sakes, for the sake of the Corinthian believers, he became poor. He came into this world. He was born in a manger. They had no room for him in the end. Born in an animal trough in the depths of poverty. Lived in the depths of poverty. Conducted his ministry with no place to lay his head. Jesus was not even buried and a tomb that belonged to him. From a virgin womb to a virgin tomb, Jesus Christ borrowed everything that he ever had in this life. He lived a life of poverty as a man. To descend from the heights of glory to this world, no doubt, was by the grace of God. The Bible said that he did it for our sakes. And don't you forget that this evening. If you're sitting here saved by the grace of God, it's because Jesus did what he did for your sake and for mine. The Bible said the reason why he became poor was that you and I, through his poverty, might be rich. And we mentioned some things this morning, just very topically this morning, but we mentioned it, but we talked about some things that God has given us through grace that has made us very wealthy individuals. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to preach to you what Kenneth Copeland and the Word of Faith crowd does. I'm not going to preach to you that if you're, not, if you're not a billionaire, then you're just not right with God and you don't have enough faith. Amen. Some of the people of greatest, the or the greatest measures of faith or the, great, the, the, the greatest uh, elements of faith in their lives. Some of the greatest Christians I've ever known were individuals that did not have very much. Amen. I would love to hear what some of the Word of Faith crowd does with this verse as it talks about the poverty of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. If there was anybody that had faith, it would have been Jesus. Amen. How could you be there when God created everything and before the foundation of the world, when the plan, when the, when the plan of salvation was, uh, was created before the foundation of the world, how could you be there for it all and not believe in it? For Jesus not to be, fa not to be filled with faith, he would have to disbelieve in himself. Because he was God, according to John chapter number 1, manifest in the flesh. So Jesus had uh, faith. He was the epitome of faith. He was, he was literally faith embodied, but he lived a life of poverty. So we know what they're teaching about, uh, about you name it, claim it, and you, and, and you, if you're right with God, you're not going to be uh, poor, and you're not going to be sick. I heard a clip the other day where Kenneth Copeland said uh, that these bodies are created to live 120 years. If you're right with God, you won't live a day less than that. I've known a whole lot of people right with God that died very early. Yes, sir. Amen. Well shy of 120 years, Amen. We know that we know that crowd's false tonight. Here in this passage, he's not speaking of physical riches, but he's speaking of spiritual riches. Now, I will say this: there are things that God has given me physically in this life that are spiritual riches in my life, even though they they do come to me in the realm that in a realm that is physical. And we'll talk about a few of those things. Tonight, we talked about this morning preaching on the thought things I got on grace. We saw number one this morning, I got my forgiveness on grace. Ephesians chapter number one, verse three through 12. We saw that, we, that I got my father on grace. John chapter number one, verse number 10 through 16. Amen. And some other verses there. I want to say, go with me tonight to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number three. We've heard some things that Paul had to say. Now let's, let's hear uh, from the apostle Peter tonight. Let's let Peter speak a word to us in this next thought this evening. 1 Peter chapter number three. And I'm going to say this. This is... Probably not the husband, not every husband's life verse. First Peter chapter number three and verse number seven. I will say this though, and I don't I don't say this to try to pin roses on myself, but if you come into my home and I were to show you a a picture that me and my wife had displayed at our wedding. This, there, that we, she was creating a picture. We were going to put it on, on our wedding at the front door when everybody walked in. And my bride-to-be called me on the phone and said, what verse would you want on something that everyone's going to see that is gonna, that's going to summarize and sum up what you want them to know about our relationship? And uh, I, I said, I want you to put on that photograph, 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 7. And I want, I want to pull a word out of this verse, and I want to preach just another thing that we got by the grace of God. Notice 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 7. The Bible says, Likewise ye husbands, and every husband in here said, Oh me. <laughs> Amen. Notice this. Dwell with them. Who is them? It's the wives. Dwell with them according to knowledge. 
Y'all have heard me mention to you before, husbands, it's not God's will for her necessarily to learn all about you, but it's God's will for you to learn about her. The Bible never says for her to dwell with you according to knowledge. She probably knew all she needed to know about you within the first 30 minutes of knowing you. But it will be a lot, and I'm, I say that jokingly, but truthfully, it will be a lifetime's worth of energy and effort to learn her. Dwell, and I don't say that disrespectfully. I say that because that's the creature God created her to be. That's why we have a Bible principle. We're to dwell with her according to name. In your home, you need to know your wife. You need to understand her. You need to know what makes her angry, what makes her sad. You need to know all there is to know about the bride that God's given you. Now that part of the sermon's over. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Literally, the idea is fine china, something that is precious, something that it has a great price and is truly invaluable is what this is talking about to the weaker vessel. And notice this, and I think this is part of the verse, and many times we just pass over as we preach this verse, but I believe it's one of the most important parts of this verse. And so it is being added to dwelling with them according to knowledge. That's one duty. The second duty is giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and you are to give honor unto her as being heirs together of the grace of life. And notice this, that your prayers be not hindered. My pastor used to say this, if you and your wife ain't talking, you and Jesus ain't talking. Now I understand there's some exceptions to that. I think everybody in here would understand that. But I'm talking about in your relationship with your bride and you dwelling in the same house and you just say, you know what? I'm not going to talk to her. I'm not, we've got this issue. I'm not going to get it right. And I'm not interested in any of it. The Bible says here, if you don't dwell with her according to knowledge, you don't do your part. And if you're not doing your part as a husband to try to make that relationship everything that needs to be, the Bible says your prayers will, will be hindered. God will not hear your prayers. Notice this, though. Here's the point I want to bring out tonight. Just a, just a part of the verse. And as being heirs together. of the, How beautiful is that? Of the grace of life. You know one, another thing that you got on the grace of God that was purchased for you by the grace of God? I know I mentioned this morning our spiritual family as we talked about our Father and how when we got a Father in heaven we got a family in the Beloved. We got a household of faith. That's a spiritual family. But I'll say this, something else you got on grace was your physical family. You got your forgiveness on grace. You got your Father on grace. You get your family own grace. You, can I say this? Notice the Bible says here, as being heirs together, you inherit together the grace of life. God says that life is, gra is a grace from Him. I want to remind you of that so the next time, and I know we're about to enter into Monday. We have shouting time in church on Sunday and turn around and the devil just lets you, reminds us that the next day is Monday. I don't know if some of you feel <laughs> about Mondays the way I do, but I'm telling you, Mondays are not always the best day for me. 
Amen. The grind starts all over again for most of you. Mondays is not probably the day you look forward to the most. For most of you, it's probably either Friday or Saturday. Monday. I get. I, I think. Of, I think about Monday and how just just it, it, how it, it tempts you to complain and to gripe. Here we are again. Another week at work. Another another week at the old grind, working and slaving for the boss. And and I wish I could do this. And vacation didn't come in quick enough. And you know you know how we are, Amen. You know how we complain, Amen. But when you come into Monday, remember this: that your life, that breath God has given you, is a grace from God. Remember, grace is us getting what we do not deserve. Can I say this? Much as we are tempted to complain about Mondays, none of us deserve to even see Monday come around. It's a grace of God. Every moment, every day of your life is, is a grace given to us by God. The Bible says here that the grace of life is something that God designed and orchestrated, literally calls two people to be heirs together, recipients together. Amen. I feel like I should probably have Brother Brandon testify about uh, what heir, being an heir, and, and you do some of that stuff. Amen. But you think about you and your spouse. God says that when you, uh, when God puts you together, uh, that you were designed by God Almighty to enjoy life together yes. as heirs of it. I got my family by the grace of God yes, because it is the grace of God that God has given me life and that God has divinely designed folks for me to enjoy my life and share the grace of my life with. February the 28th, 2015 was the day that I walked into Parkwood Baptist Church real early in the morning with a group of my guys. I called them groomsmen. Walked in with my brother, my best man, and we took our pictures and we did all we did. And my wife walked in with all the beautiful dresses and on her bridesmaids and the prettiest dress you've ever seen on her. And she was the most beautiful bride you've ever seen in your life. If you don't believe me, look, I'll show you the picture sometime. Amen. You thought yours was pretty. Well, I'm telling you, mine, not, mine, mine knocked it dead, Brother Tommy. Amen, brother. February 28, 2015, God made me a husband. As we walked in those doors, that picture there at the front of the church, we've still got in our home today, shared that phrase, and being heirs together of the grace of life. When God brought Victoria Rose Herbst into my life, soon to be Victoria Rose Lawson into my life, he brought into my life someone that he designed, I have no doubt in my mind, before the foundation of the world, to be the one individual that I would spend my life with, and we would be heirs together of the grace of life. Now, many of you in here... Or like me, whatever date you got married, however many years ago it was, for most of you, that marriage that you had, that family that God gave you uh, as husband and wife became heirs together of the grace of life, 
for the most of us, we didn't stop at being families of two, enjoying the grace of life together. I never would have dreamed that on that day, just some five years ago, that today I would have two of the most beautiful boys you've ever seen in your life with two of the sweetest hearts that God ever put in a human being. But God gave me sons, and I pray, and I, I've heard from my father-in-law that I probably shouldn't pray this, but I'd love for God to even throw a daughter in the mix sometime. Amen. He said, said, brother, he said, he said, Josh, you probably don't need to pray that. They'll rip your heart out when they get married. Amen. And I know some of y'all know that remark. Amen. But God gave us our families by the grace of God. Next time you're tempted to just have that, that, that disagreement, you know, that difference of opinion between you and your spouse, Remember, God gave them to you to be heirs together of the grace of life. How much are you contributing to the grace of their life? How, 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 much are you, how much are you, when it comes to those children, looking down at them and saying, God gave me these children by the grace of God? I don't deserve the wife that God gave me. I don't deserve the children that God gave me or any other children that he will give me. It is something only by the grace of God. And God has given us, those, our, given us our families by the grace of God. He gave me my forgiveness on grace. He gave me my father on grace. He gave me my family on grace. Now go with me please to Titus chapter number 3 this evening. Titus chapter number 3, just a couple of books to the left in your Bible. Titus chapter number 3. This ch church knows full and well my love of the book of Titus. The longest sermon series I've ever preached as pastor here, I preached in the book of Titus. I think it was 11 sermons here in Titus chapter number 2. But we're not in chapter number 2. We're in chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3 and the very last verse of the chapter, the very last verse of the book. Titus chapter 3 verse 15. Notice this. The Bible says, this is, this is Paul writing to Timothy. We heard Paul talk a little bit. We heard Peter talk a little bit. Now let's hear from Paul again. He says, all that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith, grace be with you all. Amen. Say, preacher, what does that teach us? I'll say this. Not only did I get my forgiveness on grace, my father on grace, and my family on grace, but I believe God's letting us know here that I've got my friends on grace. And, 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 and I've brought many of my friends to preach in this church. Y'all have met many of my preacher friends, some my age, some older than me. Uh, and and, I, and I, I want you to know, I don't just bring them in because they're my friends. I bring them in because they are truly, are sure enough Bible preachers. Amen. And I love them. Amen. And, uh, and I knew they'd be a blessing. Amen. But I'm not, I, don't make any, I don't make any apologies for having friends that love Jesus. I don't make any apologies for having friends that are Bible preachers. And I, I thank God that most of my close friends in this life are, are either preaching the Bible or they're faithful 
faithful in their local churches. Amen. Paul here in Titus chapter number 3 in verse number 15, he mentions in this verse, he talks about all, uh, uh, he said, all that are with me salute thee. All of those saints and believers that are with Paul as he writes this verse, he says they salute you. Uh, they, They give you salutation. They are greeting you. That sounds like friendship to me. Hey, it sounds like any of y'all ever uh, been with somebody and say, I did it this morning. Uh, make, make sure you tell so-and-so that I love them and I miss seeing them. Y'all, some of y'all probably did that this week. Amen. Uh, what Paul's doing here is he's telling, he's telling Titus, he, he says, all that are with me are sending love and sending greetings to you because they miss you, Titus. Then he tells him to do this. Greet them that love us. All of us on this side. All of those on on my side of this letter that are greeting y'all. He says, he he says here, he says, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Paul here is speaking of the grace of God that would enable Titus and those with Titus to serve the Lord to the fullest when he says, grace be with you all. Amen. He is speaking of his friends. He's speaking of those that the Bible said love him in the faith. There would be no way that Paul could pray that grace would be upon them, literally occupying and accompanying them, traveling with them, if they did not already have the grace of God working in them. They already possess the grace of God through salvation. Now Paul can say, grace be with you. Grace accompanying you everywhere you go. Grace be with you in your service. Paul here is asking Titus to greet those who love him, love them both in the faith. Amen. Uh, Paul here, he is not there uh, to, he's not there in order to greet them himself. Therefore, he asked Titus to greet them for him in his name. Paul and Titus have these friends because of the grace of God that is in them through salvation and allows them to serve the Lord together. The grace of God brought them together. The grace of God put a love in them for each other. The Bible speaks about the love that exists between fellow believers and your spirit bearing witness with mine and mine bearing witness with you. Amen. These are Paul's friends. Can I say this? It would do us all well to have friends like Paul's got, amen, who love them, notice, in the faith. Not friends that you have to be careful what you say around because you might offend them with your talk about Jesus. Not, and by the way, I don't think anybody in this crowd is too, I don't, I'm not too worried about you being offended a whole lot. Amen. Amen. I hope you're like me, that if, you're, if you've got a problem with me talking about Jesus, chances are we probably won't be friends long. I don't know about you, I just can't turn it off, amen? I'm telling you, the way I preach to you is the way I preach out there when I'm talking to folks, amen? I love Jesus, and I'm not hiding that, amen? I'm thankful to be born again. I'm thankful for the faith that I have in the things of God through the Word of God, amen? You want to be my friend? You and I will get closer than we've ever been if we can unite around the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Y'all heard, even recently mentioned this morning about Brother Austin Wagner coming in and preaching to us a couple of Sundays ago. Me and him have been friends for years. 
You know what made us friends? Close, deep friends. I mean, literally, almost, I mean, almost brothers. I mean, Olson's lived with me before. I mean, we're, we're very close. We've served in the ministry together. You know what made us so close? That we both were head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. That's what brought us together. Young people, if you're going to have a friend, make sure they love Jesus. The only friendship you'll ever have that lasts if you're going to live as a Christian are those that are rooted in your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul here says it is the grace of God that brought those friends into his life. Amen. I've got my family on grace, but I've got my friends on grace. Amen. I'm thankful for the char sister churches here in this area that I can go to and that I can have friends. Amen. I have friends with the pastors in this area. I don't know of one you can name that this preacher does not love them and respect them and appreciate them and would do anything I could for them. And I know they do the same for me. I'm not in competition with other churches. I'm not in competition with other congregations. Amen. I'm not trying to build my kingdom off of other churches and members they lose and whatever the case may be. I'm not interested in doing that. I want people to know their place and serve God where God would have them to be. If that's here at Beacon Baptist Church, I say hallelujah and praise the Lord for it. If it's at Gantt Street, praise God. If it's at Joel, praise God. If it's at Gethsemane, praise the Lord. If it's at Galilean, praise the Lord. If it's at Calvary, praise the Lord. If it's at Concord, praise the Lord. Wherever it may be, praise God that there's people that love Jesus. I'll count them as my friends. Amen. And my family in the Lord. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 with me tonight. <clears throat> this may seem a little odd, but I think you'll agree with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Let's look at verse number 6. Again, probably not everybody's favorite verse to hear a preacher preach on. And you better be glad it's just a part of my message and not the message. Amen. Amen. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Y'all know me well enough by now to know if God wants us to be the message, we'll hang out here the rest of the night. Amen. But I, I don't believe that's the case. Amen. But I do want to pull a thought out of here. Notice verse number 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. Hold on, let me say this. This is in the same context of the verse that we began with tonight. 2 Corinthians 8 9. He's still encouraging them in their monetary giving. Still encouraging them to give toward the collection of these poor Jewish saints. Chapter number 9 he's encouraging them and continuing to build on the foundation of the point that he's making with them and giving them biblical reasons, spiritual reasons why they need to be involved in giving. He's encouraging them here as a church that has, uh, with a group of believers that have means to recognize the fact that they do have more than others, and so therefore they should give more than others. Again, I'm not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be controversial tonight, but I believe if you study this passage out, you'll find that is the truth of God. If God has put means in your life and has allowed you to, uh, to have uh, a good, comfortable uh, set of means to where you could give more, I believe God brought in your life so you could give more. 
He gave it to you to give you a golden opportunity to give more to the work of God. Amen. Now I'm not saying it's God's will for everybody to be uh, to God's uh, God's will for everybody uh, to make great means. But if you do have great means and you are saved, you ought to be putting those great means to the work of God. That's what he's telling this church. He's reminding them, he, notice verse 6, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. If you give just a little, you're only going to get back a little. He says, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He's telling this church that has some means, if you'll give more, you'll get more. God will allow you to reap a greater benefit. Look at verse 7. Every man... According as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor, uh, excuse me, or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. If you've ever wondered where that verse is that I quote when we take up offering, there it is. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, notice this, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Notice that there. I mentioned it in my introduction, basically what that verse is saying. These individuals, God's encouraging them to give a big offering. God's encouraging them to be very generous, very liberal in their giving, very open in the amount that they give, to give bountifully. And here he gives them this confidence. He says, if you do that, God's going to make sure you have everything you need. You'll have all sufficiency, he says there in verse number 8. But notice... The wording of verse number 8. He says, God is able to make all grace. This is, again, the grace of giving that he mentioned in chapter number 8. This is a grace that is attached, that has attached to it a financial gift. That God is able to make all grace, all the blessings of God that can be poured into your life through faithfulness and giving abound toward you. This grace is God pouring physical blessings into their life because they were willing to pour out spiritual blessings for others. But he uses the word grace. We've talked about how we got our forgiveness on grace, how we've got our father on grace, how we got our family on grace, how we've got our friends on grace. I'm going to say this, and I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I've got my finances on grace. And I'm telling you, there's, there's probably some in here that have more than others. There's some in here that have less than others. And God has given you what you have to honor Him with as a believer. But I'll say this, every, di every dime in your pocket, every penny in your pocket, every check that has never bounced in your life, that has happened. It came to you in your life by God that is able to make financial graces abound in your life. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be, I would be financially destitute tonight. What God has given me and what God has put, the, the grace of giving that God has put into this church to give faithfully to the tithes and offerings that this church could afford to pay this pastor a salary. But what I make from this church is the grace of God. And I want to remind you that this preacher does not take any of that for granted. 
if God has put giving in your heart and you give to this church and a portion of that goes to feed me and my family and pay our light bill and take care of our necessities, I realize that it is that God has put great grace of giving in the hearts of his people. I was told years ago by older preachers and even by my pastor, he said there should be no preacher that, that would not, if they needed to, work for a living uh, if the church could not pay them a salary. And Brother Tommy and the men that were here, they never once, when I came, they never once heard me say anything about me not being willing to work. I've worked my whole life up until now. I wouldn't mind working if I had to. But one of the first things the men that came to me and told me about the, about the financial package, if you want to call that or whatever, the, the, the men that uh, were the group that was working about the things that they were going to do for me and my family, that group, Brother Tommy's words were this. And, and, and I, I knew when I heard this that it was a sign not of the bank account of the church, because we're, we're a small church. Now God has blessed our church. God's blessed our finances probably more than other churches our size. And I praise the Lord for that. But it wasn't a sign to me that the, church, the bank account was overflowing. Because I, I tell you as a pastor, and I'm sure Brother Lewis could say as well as our treasurer, there's always more that we could do if we had more. Amen. But you'll, ne you'll never hear either one of us complain about the giving of this church. God's put a grace of giving this church. But when Brother Tommy spoke these words to me, he said, Preacher, he said, I want to know what you need to be full-time. I, when I heard that, my mind did not go to the bank account of the church, but it was a spiritual barometer of the heart of this church. Preacher, we're not interested in you having to work unless there's just a need that we cannot meet. We want to know what you need to be our pastor and to be our pastor full-time without having to work a secular job. That let me know the heart of this church was to give and to give liberally and to, they believe what that Bible says about taking care of the preacher and to making sure that those that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's what Paul taught. Amen. Everything this church gives me, if I've never said it plainly before, I want to tell this church, me and my family, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Because the, it's the grace of God in our life. Everything I've ever had in my life through working a secular job and also pastoring this church, that, that, that has come in in the days of my life has been the grace of God. Amen. Everything you have is by the grace of God. Paul said it is an abounding grace of finances that comes into our life because God's able. Amen. When God lets that paycheck come in to your hands, put in your hands or direct deposit to your bank account, just say, thank you, Lord, you're able. Because everything you get is from a God that's able to make sure you have it. You say, preacher, I know these things. Why are you preaching these things? Because we need to be reminded of it. We get so, and you know, the Bible says in the last days that men would be unthankful. I'm just trying to stir some things in our mind and put some things at the forefront that as we enter into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday this week, we will say, God, thank you more than we did last week. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. 
in a day where the rest of the world around us is so unthankful. The one thing that will separate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ apart is our thankfulness. Let's look at Ephesians chapter number 2 tonight. I've got, I've got several more that I've could, I could preach. Ephesians, well, let me tell you what. Go with me to James chapter number 1 tonight. James chapter number 1. <clears throat> I'm going to stop at 5 tonight. We've, we've done, we, we preached 1 and 2 this morning. We preached more tonight than we did this morning. I'm satisfied with that. James chapter number 1, verse 17. Let me remind you of this verse. James chapter 1 and verse 17. I have it printed out in my notes. But I want to turn to it in the pages of my Bible. James chapter 1, verse 17. Say, preacher, when I get my finances and I get my paycheck, what? You said it's a grace from God, but does the Bible say anything else? The Bible says it's a gift from God. It's not just a grace from God, it's a gift from God. I'll say this, I believe that it is a good gift from the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 17. I want to remind you of this verse in closing tonight. Every good, listen to what James says, every good gift, every good thing you've ever got in your life, every good gift and every perfect gift is from my company, is from my labor, from the breaking of my back and the sweat on my brow. No, because if that was the case, it would be from below. You know what the Bible says? Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. The Father that I got on grace. Amen. I put in His family the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. There's no variation is what He's talking about here. There's no change in Him. There's no variables to consider. He's not going to change in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Can I say, if you've got blessings, financial blessings, physical blessings, if you're going to get in a car that was paid for uh, with, with, with money, by the way, that's probably all of our cars, unless you've just got some folks that I need to be friends with that give nice gifts like that, amen. But it was pay, everything we have paid for with money. You're going to get in a car tonight that's paid for with money. You know what that was? It was a good gift from God. You're going to drive however long it may be. May it be just a handful of minutes like me now, praise the Lord. Or whether it be almost an hour away. You're going to go down to your, you're going to go to your house that God somehow, some way allowed either you or somebody that is in your lineage to pay for with money. And God put it in their hand. God gave them grace because He is able. And He is so able that He gives good gifts to His children. And He gave them blessings upon blessings to be able to pay for that. We're going to sit down at a table tonight, Lord willing. And if you're not, you let us know. We'll make sure you have somewhere to sit and somewhere to eat with somebody tonight. But most of us are going to go sit at a table in our homes and restaurants somewhere. And we're going to put food in our mouths and in our stomachs that we were able to pay for with money. You know what that you know where that came from? Grace. Amen. 
Don't, don't think about these physical things that we get as simply things that we've earned and we've done. It, it, friend, you've got to think higher than that. You have a job because God in His grace and favor allowed you to have that job. God puts you in a place in your life to earn that skill or to work for that person. God gave you favor on that interview. God gave you the skill set you needed. God allowed you to get the grades. And I know there is a part that is you. You have to earn grades. You have to work hard. You have to learn the trade. You have to do that. But it was the grace of God that gave you the mind to learn and to be a student and, and to be able to get the degree that you have or whatever the case may be. There is nothing in our lives that we'll ever enjoy that does not have at the base of it all a loving God that loves us and gave us His grace. Things we got on grace. Everything you have physically, everything you get spiritually as a child of God. It's not what we deserve, but we got what we did not deserve. You didn't get it simply on money. You got it on grace. I praise the Lord for that tonight. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.